Welcome to How Did We Get Queer, a podcast from The Pigeon. My name is Isaac, and I am one of your co-hosts. My name is Thomas, and I'm your other co-host. This is the second part of a three-part series this month, where we are delving into the history and the present and the future of queer film and television in Canada. Who are we talking to today, Thomas? Today we're talking to Allie McLeod. I'll just let her introduce herself. My name is Allie McLeod. I am um, currently with Verizon Media. I'm the head of brand relations and content development. I also lead their PRISM or their LGBTQERG Boy Resource Group. And I'm a programmer with Inside Out uh, Film Festival. And I use she, her pronouns. As someone who has been working in media for the better part of 20 years and as a Black queer woman, Elliot provides an important perspective on the significance of placing diverse voices both in front of and behind the camera. And if you haven't already listened to the first part of this three-part series, you can always go back and listen to that in the podcast feed. On the first episode, we spoke with Chris Vogel, an activist, uh, among other things, from Winnipeg, who helped produce the television show Coming Out, which was an important resource and voice for queer Winnipeggers in the 1980s and 90s. And on the next and final episode of this series this month, we'll be hearing from Alex Nguyen, an up-and-coming filmmaker from Winnipeg, about what it's like being queer trying to get into the film and television industry today. So in this episode, we're providing a deeper look into the representation and portrayal of queer identity and experience in Canadian media and media in general. We talked to Alia about the value of diversity and representation in media. But to start off the episode, we're going to hear from Alia about the harm that media can actually do when there isn't that diversity and representation, when the production team or cast is predominantly cisgender, white, or straight. There's been this really slow rise of representation. And yes, there's been lots of missteps, you know, by some of our most popular shows. Um, you know, I love The L Word, but, you know, very poor portrayal of trans issues and characters on that show that, you know, my friends and, and some um, colleagues still talk about to this day. And, and also around that time and for a few years, you know, storytelling really centered around white LGBT people and their experiences and mostly white gay men and their experiences. And I think that really was unfortunate because that really drove a bit of a perception of what people thought of our community. Isaac, have you seen The L Word? I have not, but I uh, binged when I was a baby queer, uh, a show called Queer as Folk, which I feel like is sort of like the L word for like cis gays, maybe. Um, and I actually talked about this on the previous sort of prologue episode where we were rambling a lot, because I think there's a really similar critique that can be levied at uh, Queer as Folk in that it was sort of revolutionary at its time, but it has kind of aged poorly, perhaps. But if you want to you know, hear me go into more of that, you can listen to the prologue uh, of, this, of this episode. Have you seen The L Word or, or, or did uh, Alia's comments resonate with you? I feel like they did resonate with me. I think I don't necessarily have the same sort of feeling of being like let down by film or television though, because I don't necessarily, like I kind of expect film or television to like not do representation as well as I hope. So I just come in with like the lowest possible expectations that anyone can have. And then I'm like, oh, well, this wasn't, um, this wasn't actively offensive. So I guess it's fine. 
That being said, seeing yourself reflected in characters can be a large part of what makes a TV show or film engaging. For Alia, seeing characters she identified with nurtured her love of film and storytelling. I remember watching some early films and really, like I said, being drawn to just storytelling and just the screen in general and these actors and people could be on screen and really affecting me and, and you know, moving me emotionally. And then I, I instantly recognized that, you know, not instantly, but I think along the way I was, I thought to myself, you know, nobody really looks like me on screen, even though I really love these films, you know, Stand By Me is one of my favorite films. And then Do the Right Thing came along and I finally was say, said to myself, wow, that's a, that's a great film. It's so colorful. It's so vibrant, so culturally relevant. It was one of those films where I said, wow, you know, if, if that voice can be out there, if Spike Lee can be doing this, you know, there's, there's got to be room for other voices too. So that was really a film that I remember watching saying, oh, I really like this film. And, and it, it kind of spurred me into a, uh, I think, a deeper love for, for film and storytelling. So we're going to look at some uh, statistics now uh, that kind of give us a bit of a glimpse into the state of diversity and representation in uh, media today. The GLAAD Media Institute produces an annual report called Where Are We on TV? And last year, so for 2019 to 2020, GLAAD saw the highest percentage of regular LGBTQ plus characters in television programming since it's been producing this report. 10.2% of characters across all networks were LGBTQ plus. And GLAAD's scope of research includes cable networks and online streaming sites such as Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. It was something that, you know, yes, we should celebrate, but when you look at what that percentage is, you know, GLAAD had challenged the networks really to, to ensure that 10% of primetime broadcast scripted series regulars were LGBTQ plus by 2020. And, you know, in the report, I think it was just over 10%. And so again, it's, it's not a high number, but we can both sit, you know, in the space and celebrate it because, okay, great. It's the highest we've seen. We are on a rise. But then you also have to recognize that there's a lot more work to do. This year, the percentage of regular LGBTQ characters has dropped to 9.1%. Glad says this was expected due to the COVID-19 pandemic halting production on several shows and impacting the green light for new series. TV shows like Pose and Schitt's Creek are sparking conversations about the portrayal of sexuality and queer experience in mainstream television. Alia points to Pose as one of the first TV shows of its kind in terms of having diverse voices in front of and behind the camera. However, being the first of your kind comes with the weight of being the only one in the spotlight. Pose is, is an, an, a, just a wonderful show and has, it's so well written and it's exactly what I'm saying. They, they have creators behind the lens that, um, uh, you know, Janet Mock is, is one of the contributors. I mean, they have people who reflect what's on screen, but in the same sense, because it's one of the few series or one of the first of its kind, it gets so much critique, you know, and it does have to carry so much of the weight on its shoulders you know, kudos to them for, for keeping it up and, and doing such a well, great job. But, you know, I do, I do have a sense of, oh, I wish there was more. So it wasn't everybody looking to that one show for so much. But again, it's a, it's a great show. Please, please go watch Pose. Everyone should watch Pose. <laughs> and turning towards some Canadian content now, Alia brings up the TV show Schitt's Creek as an example of a show that really nails certain aspects of representing sexuality and queer identity. I mean, it was so refreshingly hopeful. The character of David was just his queerness, his his pansexual, him being pansexual was not, it wasn't made to be this thing that they, you know, became a stereotype or they didn't fetishize or anything like that. It was something that was just a part of who he was. I think what's interesting too sometimes with LGBT plus characters is even when it's done right, 
there is a moment of education, I think, that sometimes always happens in the storyline. And so with David's character, you know, he educated Stevie, who became his best friend, about what it meant to be pansexual, which I think was great. And I think, the, you know, as an audience was something that was important because we don't see characters who are pansexual, you know, on screen uh, very, I, I can't think of a lot, you know. And so what I find is just so interesting that there's always a moment of education, even though it might not be exactly part of the storyline or like it it has to be part of the plot or anything like that. There is this moment that always happens where we as part of, you know, the, the community are educating our audience or people in the film. However, Schitt's Creek falls short in terms of the diversity of the cast and crew. I was so just excited at how funny and genuine and heartwarming the show was and just so proud to be like oh this is Canadian this is this is great but my wife knows that when I go to watch programs like shows part of what I do is I say you know okay is there diversity in it do is is there something in it that is going to be for me in terms of identity or representation and you know is there somebody that's going to look like me on that show it's tough when I don't see that. Even in the behind the scenes of the series, you look at the cast, you get a little glimpse of who the crew is, and there's no diversity there. And so when you're at a level where you have the ability to hire and to bring in crew, you know, and, and I have that ability in my day to day in the world that I do too, hopefully that, you know, we can all start thinking about conscious inclusion and just start thinking about how we can create just a bit more equity in the film space. They have the ability to probably find a bit more diversity behind the lens. Now, it may seem like the demand for diversity in media has grown in recent years, but Alia thinks that that demand has always been there. It's just that now social media has provided a platform for people to express that demand. I don't know if viewer expectations honestly have changed or if we're just in a climate now where people have access to platforms to voice or publicize their expectations and that studios and creators are actually listening. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was younger, of course I wanted representation. I wanted myself on screen, but I had nowhere to, other than my immediate friends that I could, you know, walk across the street and say, Hey, did you see that show? It didn't have, you know, not that I was saying that at 11 years old or anything, but you know, I didn't have a platform to voice my expectation or to voice what I wanted to see. I feel like people have for a long time needed and wanted to see more diversity on screen. It's just, you know, now we've got the internet and now everybody is able to be a critic or at least put out what their thoughts are on a show. And studios, creators are noticing, you know, we're looking to social media for what, you know, is driving content and things like that. Elias says it's great to appreciate achievements and representation, but it's important not to lose sight of the work that still has to be done. You can look at today and say, yes, we are seeing a better representation. You know, we've got like, we've got series like Vita, who looks at, you know, more diverse cast. Uh, we've got Euphoria. I, I think you can probably, you can probably look at certain series and say, yes, we're seeing better representation. What's kind of a, another way to look at it is I can actually count the series where I see the better representation. You know, it's not so rampant that I, I can actually still count on my hand these series where I see it. So yes, there's more diversity, but again, I mean, we've got a long way to go. And it comes with, you know, putting those voices in the writer's room. It comes with putting those voices behind the camera. You know, it's one thing to have them in front of the camera, but it's another thing to actually have them crafting the stories and making sure that representation is accurate. 
You know, one of the things that I really loved about talking with Alia is that she really like introduced me to so many shows that I hadn't really ever heard of before or watched. Like Vita, for example, I've I've heard of it. My mom actually watched it and she really liked it. But I it had totally like I'd totally forgotten about it. And now I'm like reminded that okay, I need to watch the show. But actually, you know, since since we recorded our like little prologue episode, I actually saw another really good show that had, I think, some great queer representation, and I really loved it. Um, it was called The House of Flowers. It's a Mexican show on Netflix, originally called like Casa de las Flores, I think. Um, but it's about this uh, Mexican family in Mexico City that owns a flower shop. Um, but it's really about so much more and there's, but there's lots of queer characters and um, it's just like really, really fun. I think that does sound like fun. I don't know that I've seen more queer media. Um, I have been watching a lot of TikToks because I need to keep up with the youth. And it's honestly been like, there are so many trans creators it does make me realize how like starved I am for content that I feel like is representative. You know, all these like small things like jokes about binders or, you know, I'm trying to think of any other joke that is appropriate to say <laughs> that I want on the internet forever. But like, it really is like, oh, like there are other people like me and they have the same problems as me and they like to make the same jokes as me. And I want, I want to see that not just, you know, on my phone inches away from my face. I'd love to see that on the TV or going to go see that in the cinema. In the cinema, in the movie theater, excuse me. In the cinema. <laughs> well, weren't, we, weren't, weren't you saying in, in, the, in the last uh, episode or the prologue, our ranting prologue, that like you, you have never really sought out queer shows necessarily or like shows that have queer trans characters? that's not something you actively seek out like would you say that now it maybe is something that you would seek out yes i feel like i have a really i have kind of a boring taste in content i watch a lot of documentaries so i feel like i do am now kind of like ugh, do i want to watch this ken burns documentary on the roosevelts that i've literally seen a thousand times do i want to watch you know a documentary (laughs) do i want to look up something else on canopy and like see if they have any documentaries on you know queer content queer history queer issues love that little plug for canopy your public library has so much great stuff for you to access what's the having fun is easy with the library card no that's not it at all (laughs) no i think that's it i think that's it Anyway, but it was it was such a such a pleasure to uh, to speak with Alia for this episode. So of course we want to thank her so much for for her time and insight here. And you know, while Alia really gave us some great sort of context and insight into queer representation in media today or in the past, you know, maybe couple decades and sort of looking forward uh, when it comes to queer media. If you want to, you know, see what we said in the past, if you want to hear all the times we referenced our old episode and you're like, I haven't listened to that one. What are they talking about? You can hear it. It's online now. It's on Spotify and Apple and wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to thank our producers, Sarah Willis-Craft and Shannon Waters. 
we'd like to thank our always hardworking editor, Colton Madigan. If you want to find all of our tweets so you can be constantly updated on this podcast, you can follow us at HDWGQPod on Twitter. And if you want to follow The Pigeon on Twitter, and you can go to the-pigeon.ca to see all the articles that are produced, that are created, that are made and posted by The Pigeon. If you want to, you know, hear, if you love this rambling, but you want to be like, I want to read this on Twitter, you can follow me at Beloved of the Sky on Twitter. And where can they find you, Isaac? Yeah, and if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can find me under my last name, which is Vyoman. Um, so that is at W-U-E-R-M-A-N-N on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.